Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. Pastor Evan and the team were singing the song of the Lord. Took me back to a scripture text found in Amos. And Amos was prophesying about the coming restoration of Israel. And we're Israel. We've been grafted into the body. Amos chapter 9, he said, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which was fallen down. And I'll repair its damages and I will raise up its ruins. And rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name. That the kingdom of Israel may possess what was left of Edom. And if you don't know who Edom is, you may be there right now and not even know it. Edom is the nation of Esau. And Esau was the one who sold everything that he had and lost it. Because he didn't value what he once had. And the Lord is speaking through Amos saying to those who made a mistake and you didn't value what you had and you sold out for something of the world. The Lord said in the last days that there would be a reclamation or a restoration of people who lost everything. And I believe that there is somebody in this room that you feel like you have lost everything. You sold it out. You didn't, you didn't value what you had. You didn't value your heritage. You didn't value the glory of the Lord. You didn't value the spirit of the Lord. But today, the Lord is in this place to restore you and to reclaim you back into his kingdom, back as a son and back into a birthright of the kingdom of God in your life. And so the enemy may be speaking to you right now, telling you that there is no hope for you. I wanted you to know there is, because the power of Almighty God and His glory is in this place for you to recover everything that you have ever lost in your life. Your anointing, your ministry, the glory of God, your gifts, your family, your finances, your marriage, your relationships, you may have lost it all, but the Lord is here today to restore to you everything that the enemy has taken from you in your life. He said, what would they do with it? They would rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And then he said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sow seed. And the mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. And I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them, and I will, eat the, I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Now, those of you that are watching online, this may not apply to you. Let me just talk to the folks in southern Illinois. I read that as that is God 
God telling us that God is going to give us our land back. And there is no reason to run and hide, but that God will allow us, the people of God, to begin to put into our land and our land will be prosperous again. Or let me say it like this, it will be an oasis in the middle of a wilderness. It will be a place where people run to for refuge from despair. Right here in Southern Illinois, this is God's house. These are God's lands. You're God's people. And the enemy cannot have you and have anything that belongs to you. The Lord is in this place. In just a few moments, we're going to take communion. So if you did not take get communion on your way in, just raise your hand and our guest services team will help you get communion. We use a communion cup that looks like this and in a little bit. Pastor Evans is going to sing a song, and during that song, you're going to take communion on your own. I'm not going to lead you through the whole communion. I'm just going to set it up, and then I'm going to come back after we take communion, and I'm going to read some scripture to you. But we're in a series called Four C's. We began with conflict. Then last week, I hope you learned something about covenant, about being in covenant relationship. And Luke 22 is where we're taking almost our entire text from. Jesus said, this, is, this cup represents the new covenant. We are in covenant relationship with God. And what he was doing was instituting what we're taking right, or going to be taking in just a few moments, communion. And communion is a representation of our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's why we're going to take communion today to remind ourselves of our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, if you are not in covenant relationship with Christ then I would challenge you today while I'm preaching that you need to get yourself into covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll pause a little bit through the sermon about verse 26 of John chapter 11, and I'm going to ask you a question before we take communion. And if you answer yes to that, then you are qualified to take communion. If you answer no to that, then you need to reconsider whether or not you would take this cup, which represents that you're in covenant relationship, there's an expectation on your part because there's an expectation on God's part in covenant relationship with Him. And we are definitely in covenant relationship with Him, those of us who have been washed in His blood, been redeemed by His name, the name of Jesus. So in Luke chapter 22, I'm going to read uh, verse 4, and in your uh, note sheets here, I made a mistake this week when I sent my notes to Ms. Donna, so it's not Donna's fault, it's not anybody, it's, it's my fault, so you can crucify me later, but before you do that, Jesus was crucified so that I don't have to be. <laughs> I had Luke on the brain, and I wrote in my notes, Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 12, but it's actually John chapter 11 and John chapter 12. And last night I was reading my notes and reading the scriptures again, going through it, and I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to say out of Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 12? I'm like, Luke chapter 11, you're going through how to pray, and, and Luke chapter 12, you're telling them who to fear. And I'm like, what do you want me to say? I don't remember why you told me to write these verses in my notes. And I said, so I prayed over it for two hours last night. Before I went to bed, I said, Lord, just speak to me in my dream. If it's Luke 11, Luke 12, you're going you're gonna to fill my mouth, Lord. I got it this morning. I'm like, Lord, you got to help me. And the Lord said, it's John. 
It's John chapter 11 and John chapter 12. So I said, don't fix it. I'll just take the heat for it. And I was just, my mind was on Luke. So, but it's in John chapter 11, John chapter 12. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read John chapter 11 verses 1 through 57. I'm also not going to read John chapter 12 verses 1 through 12. I pray that you would do that on your own. I'm going to summarize it for you. But there's a lot of stuff in there that God may speak to you while you read it. But I want to read a verse out of Luke 22, verse 4. And this is when they're on their way to worship. They're on their way uh, to the Passover meal in Luke 22 and verse 4. And it's talking about Judas here. And he says, and he went his way. Isn't it amazing that we have a decision on which way we want to take, but Judas went his way. He didn't go the Lord's way. He went his way. And Judas communed with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him unto them. That's out of the King James. Some of your translations have a different word, but the King James uses, and he went his way and he communed with the chief priests and the captains. So there is a communion that you can take that is not honorable to God. There is a communion that you can do and come into a common union with people who are conspiring against everything you believe. Judas communed came into a common union with people who were conspiring to kill Jesus. And I pray today that as we prepare to take communion, that you're not trying to go your own way. And that you're not in communion with people who are conspiring to kill the message of Jesus again. Instead, you're going to make the decision that the rest of the disciples made, and that is we're going to come into communion, into covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. So there may be people under the sound of my voice, we're all in the same room, that, that all of them were headed on their way to the Passover meal, but one decided he was going to have his way. The other said, let's go Jesus's way. And may we all decide to go Jesus's way. In John chapter 11, there's an interesting story. It's the story of Lazarus and Lazarus getting sick, Lazarus then dying, them telling Jesus that Lazarus has died, and Jesus said he's asleep, and they assumed that he was just asleep, and Jesus said, no, this sickness is unto death. Then Jesus ultimately shows up. He's a few days late. Like most men, he was late, and in most occasions, the woman was upset that the man was late. Maybe you don't have that in your home, but that's the way it traditionally is in my house. Martha was upset that the solution to the problem came late. And she assumed that because the solution to the problem was late, that there would never be a solution. That was her mindset. So she is upset with Jesus. Jesus and her have a conversation. He says in verse 26, Martha, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, Martha, you're getting ready to see something because of your belief. But if you don't believe that, then you're going to struggle with what's getting ready to happen. Because I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead, whether you think I can or not. I just want to know, do you believe it? Because there's a lot of times that Jesus will do things and people have a hard time understanding what just happened. That's because you don't believe. 
Jesus is moving in the service already today. And I watched as people were trying to struggle in your own mind with what's happening down here. Well, Jesus was bringing things back to life in people's bodies, their minds, their families, their finances, in their mental health, and whatever area of their life that there was something dead in, Jesus was bringing something back to life. But we could be like Martha and think that it's not possible. So Jesus just wanted to clarify with her, Martha, do you believe? I know some other people will believe, but I want to get personal with you, Martha. Do you believe? And it's not, this is not a question for SIWC. This is a question for you in seat 303 and 403 and 503. Do you believe? I can believe, but do you believe? Because it doesn't matter what I believe, it matters what you believe. Because if you believe, then God will do some amazing things in your life if you believe. So Jesus is having this conversation with Martha. It's a pretty spectacular conversation. And he's getting ready now to walk out to the cemetery, which sometimes could be Sunday morning church. He's getting ready to walk out to the cemetery. And he's going to have a conversation with Lazarus. And Lazarus was in relationship with Jesus already. And he's getting ready to speak to something to Lazarus about coming alive. He's going to call Lazarus forth. Now, we have something interesting happening here. We have disciples that were with Jesus who had had received an identical call, but they weren't dead physically. They were dead spiritually. They were working their jobs. They were being fishermen and tax collectors. They were going about their business. And Jesus shows up at their cemetery. They didn't realize they were in a cemetery because they were alive physically, but they were dead spiritually. And Jesus says to them, if you'll throw down what you're doing in the natural and you'll take up your cross and you'll follow me, then you're going to come alive spiritually. Now, the same guys that have been called alive spiritually are hanging out with Jesus and they're talking about a guy who is dead physically. Now, it's hard for me to comprehend this, but if you have seen the things that these men have witnessed, why would they think it would be so impossible that Jesus could take somebody who was physically dead and make them come back to life? Because they were fishers of men, and they, they, they were once fishermen, and now Jesus has turned them into fishermen. The miracle of the fishes and loaves did not happen in the hand of Jesus. The miracle of the fishes and loaves happened in the hand of these men who are now spiritually alive. So if you're taking a fish and you're breaking it apart and it keeps reappearing in your hand and you take a, a loaf of bread and you break a piece off and it appears again in your hand, I think that's miraculous. And if it's happening in your hand and a miracle is happening in your hand just because Jesus prayed for you that it would be blessed to be broken and when it was broken, it was going to take a happy meal and turn it into the golden corral. And we might need this miracle again in America. Why would it be so hard then to believe 
that if you just four days after the fact that Jesus could not raise Lazarus from the dead. Could I say to you that sometimes you can get so close and so accustomed to the miraculous that the spirit of apathy comes on to the Christian world because now it's when we just say, well, I knew that God could do it when I was ministering to someone else. When I was giving them something from my hand, but it's hard for me to believe that Jesus can do something when it matters to me personally. Right? It's much easier to pray for people than to receive prayer. So the disciples were spiritually dead, and then Jesus calls them, and they become spiritually alive. Lazarus is physically dead. So number one, Lazarus was he was dead. Dead, and as the old comedian said, he was graveyard dead. And because Lazarus was dead, there is a picture here for us. And the picture of Lazarus being dead is a picture of every person who does not know the Lord as their Savior. Lazarus was sick. He was terribly sick. But now he's not sick any longer. He's dead. He's now in a tomb completely surrounded now by his mourning family and friends. They're all around. They're upset. They're upset with Jesus. They're upset about him dying. They're upset that he, that he wasn't healed. They were ticked off. They were church folks on Sunday morning. It didn't go my way. Jesus didn't answer in the right time. I don't understand what's happening. So we're going to mourn and we're going to grieve over something that cannot hear you grieve. In other words, we're going to waste our words on someone who cannot hear us. They were grieving to Lazarus, and Lazarus could not hear them. And sometimes we speak to the problem which cannot hear instead of speaking to the one who's already listening to us. So they're speaking, they're crying, they're grieving, and Lazarus can't hear a thing. He has no idea what's going on. And even when Jesus showed up at his grave, even then, even though Jesus showed up at Lazarus's grave, Lazarus was unaware that Jesus was there. And isn't it a shame that there are people who have sat at a table with Jesus, had been in the same house with Jesus, who Jesus knew them by name, but now they're, they're no longer sick spiritually, they're dead spiritually, and Jesus can show up outside of their place of residence and they not even know he's there. That's how dead some people are in this room right now. Jesus was here just a little bit ago, and you didn't even recognize that Jesus was here. You're wondering, man, when are we going to get done because the Cubs are playing, or there's a golf tournament on, or I got what, something else, and Jesus showed up to heal what was going on in your life, and you didn't even recognize that he was here. That's dead. Spiritually dead. Lazarus was a dead man, and because he was dead, He's now unable to respond to his surroundings. He can't respond to Mary and Martha. He can't respond to Jesus. All those people around there, he cannot respond to them. And so his condition is a picture of every person who is either ignoring the Lord or once knew the Lord and walked away from him or does never known the Lord Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that a sinner or an unbeliever is lost in his trespasses and in, in his sins. So in a lost condition, the sinner cannot sense 
or even know that the presence of the Lord is even around him. And because he's dead, he's in sin, he cannot even respond to the things of God. He cannot enjoy fellowship with Jesus. Because they're in sin, they are dead. And I think many of us need to understand this about our nation. There's certain prayers we're praying for people in our nation. They are dead. They do not recognize God because they are dead. Why? Because they're sinners. And sinners cannot respond to Jesus because they're dead. Dead people cannot respond to them. But then there has to be something that causes them to come alive. So we're praying amiss. We are praying for our nation to have a resuscitation. That means they were once alive, but our nation has not been once alive. We need a resurrection in our nation. We don't need our nation to be revived. We need our nation to finally come alive into the presence of Jesus. How do I know they're dead? Because dead things like other dead things. And our nation has a spirit of death all over it. So the sinner's lost. He cannot enjoy. He's dead. He's in a pitiful condition. They're dead. Number two, Lazarus was decaying. Not only was he dead, he is decaying. This is a picture of the the stench. It's the evidence of sin. According to Martha, Lazarus had, had been dead long enough that the decaying process has now set in. And she said, Lord, you know, behold, now he stinketh. He, he stinks. I don't know if you've ever been around a place where there's been a dead body for a while, but it's a lasting impression on your nostrils. She said, Lord, he stinks now. And not only is he dead, he's been dead for so long that now he, he's stinking. And the decay process is now set in. Now, he was just as dead as he had ever been. But now death was far more apparent. It's a type of sin. They're dead, but now our nation is showing their sin more apparently than ever before. They've always been dead. Sinners have always been dead. But now we're showing our decay and our moral decay more than we ever have before. We literally are fighting for the right for murder. We're literally praying. For the right to kill something that has a heartbeat. We are showing our moral decay more than ever before. Had you ever imagined in your life that when you went to sit your kid to school, that instead of a lunchbox, they would need a bulletproof vest? Did you ever imagine in your life the headlines that we're seeing right now? Did you ever imagine in your life the emails that you've gotten since June the 1st? Our nation... Our world is in a moral decay, and it is an abomination to God that the church remains silent about life and life more abundantly when we have a nation and a people who are dead. And not only dead, they're decaying. And we're seeing the moral decay all over our streets, our back alleys, everywhere you go. They're decaying. Death was far more apparent than ever before. Jesus has dealt with death a couple times. In Luke chapter 8, there was a, a man by the name of Jairus or Jairus, however you want to enunciate his name. And his daughter had just died. And she, had, she was not dead long enough that 
Rigor mortis had not set in. Let me just say life hadn't totally left her. She wasn't cold yet. She was still a little warm. She still had a little color going on in her. And Jesus shows up and he raises this girl who had just died. He raises her back to life. In Luke chapter 7, there's the widow's son by the, uh, the name, her son, and he'd been dead for a couple hours so long that they were taking him out to his burying place when Jesus passed by. His body had already grown cold. He, he, the effects of death were surely evident, and they're getting ready to put him in the ground. They're getting ready to do the funeral ceremony out there. Then Jesus comes to Lazarus. Jesus is coming to Lazarus, and Lazarus has been, been dead four days. Jairus' daughter was just dead a few hours. The widow of Nain's son had been dead for a little while, but Lazarus was dead for four days. It did not matter to Jesus how long they had been dead. He had the power to resurrect them, no matter what, had they been dead a few hours, or a couple hours, or a few days. And I just want to say to all of us, you may have had a dream, or a family member, or some issue in your life that the enemy has tried to destroy and it's been dead for a few hours, that does not matter when Jesus shows up. Or it may have been dead to the point where you think, my goodness, all the signs are showing that this is over. It does not matter when Jesus shows up. Or even if you think that Jesus has showed up way too late, it does not matter. Jesus can speak life to any situation, whether it just happened or happened a little while ago or it happened a long time ago. So let me say it like this. Maybe your child has walked away from God a couple weeks ago. Jesus can still reach him. Or maybe they walked away from God a couple years ago. Jesus can still reach them. Or maybe they walked away from God a long time ago. But Jesus can show up and resurrect that dead soul back to life again. We want to put him on a time frame. Lazarus, when he got there, they said, Lord, he stinks. And the thing I love about the Lord is your stink will never stop him. My sin's too much. Behold, he stinketh. What I have done, it stinks. My family stinks. My marriage stinks. My finances stinks. But if you'll take what stinks and give it to the Savior, he'll freshen it up and bring it back to life again for you. None of those three were more dead than the other. But the Lord reached them all. Let's take those dead people and let's look at them and say they're lost. Jarius' daughter had just been dead a few hours. Life was kind of still in her. So we can look at lost people and say, all right, well, they could be like Jarius' daughter. They could be good. They could be moral. They may look like they have their life going on. They have goodness all around them. But if they're lost, they're dead. Others, we can look at and say, like the widow of Nain's son, we can say it, the signs of death have appeared. So that we can look at people in our world and say the signs of their lost condition are apparent. They may curse. They may be given to drugs and alcohol. They may live a morally unclean lifestyle. But they too are dead in trespasses and sins. Then there are those people that church folks don't like. Hardcore sinners. They're lost. 
And they make no bones about it that they're lost. Their lives prove it. Their Facebook posts say it. You cut them in line at the grocery store and you'll know it. They have a stench of sin all around them. They are dead and everybody knows it. The whole point is it doesn't matter whether a sinner is good morally or they were just alive a little bit. And the little bit of life is still in them. Or maybe it's like, you know, hey, I just, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. You're still dead. Got tied in here. Because y'all wear them shirts and say, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Well, then witness to him after you cussed a little. Because you know dead things like dead things. And when the sinner approves of your cussing, What they're liking is because now you are like them. Because dead things like dead things. So what we do in the church, though, we say, well, you know, they're not really a sinner. They're not totally. I mean, like, they're better than. They're better than. That's like saying Georgia is better than Alabama. Like, they're both sinners. They're just different degrees of decay. And just as a physically dead person is good for nothing, they just need to be buried. buried. The spiritually dead are fit for nothing but hell. And we need to get this picture in our mind. And I know we don't want to talk about this. But Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have a world that is decaying. Not only are they dead, but they're decaying. And the wages, that the repayment for this decaying is death. Number three, Lazarus, not only was he dead and decaying, but Lazarus was doomed. According to Martha and all the experts at the grave, they are all now experts, right? We see these same experts now. We've had experts in healthcare on Facebook. Now we have experts in the legal process on Facebook. Now we have experts, and they're all experts in whatever they say they're experts in. Now, all the experts around the grave, they're theological experts. They know everything that Jesus is going to do. They know everything about Jesus. They know how God operates. All those theological experts are standing around, and they said, it's too late. It's over. The people nearest to Lazarus were the ones saying there was no hope for Lazarus. His sisters were sitting there saying, there's no hope. Jesus, if you'd have just been here four days before, if you could, I, listen, we had faith that you could heal him. We just don't have faith that you could raise him. So, Lord, if you would have just showed up when it wasn't that big of a miracle, we would have believed. So they say he's doomed. And we need to be very careful about our words that we speak over people when we say, you know, there's no hope for them. There's no opportunity for them. There's no way that God could ever reach them. We're speaking doom over the top. What we're saying is, Lord, if you could have saved them when they were nine years old, it would have been a whole lot better. But now that they're 19 years old and now that they're 22 years old, I don't think you can reach them, Lord. Listen, the same God that can reach them at nine years old can reach them at 19 years old. And the same God that can reach them at 19 can reach them at 91. Oh, I just don't think there's any hope for them. Yes, there is. Now, Mary and Martha and the crowd, they're talking about Lazarus. You get the idea that they've given up on him. So I just want to ask you a question. Have you given up on the people that you've been praying for? 
Have you given up on that person that you had their name written on your refrigerator and you prayed for them? During the worship service, I texted a mother and I said, hey, your miracle's in the room. Just want to remind you to not stop praying. Because once you give up on them, you'll stop asking Jesus to show up at their grave. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we got a lot of people in southern Illinois that need to come alive in Jesus. I don't know how your family is, but I know in my family, there's some folks that Jesus needs to show up and take the grave clothes off of them and get them loose from the bondage that's in their life and watch them leap and shout on their way out to Jesus. The others, were they were all ready to leave. It's, he's dead. He's buried. Leave him there. Put the stone over the top of it, and let's go on about life. But Jesus was not ready to leave Lazarus. Jesus said, uh, roll the stone back. But Lord, when we roll the stone back, you're going to see how much our brother stinks. Pastor, we would invite our family to church. But if you saw my family, then maybe you would judge me by the family that's coming in because by now they stinketh. I mean, they got a drug problem. They got an alcohol problem. I'm not sure we want to roll a stone away from that. Because if the church folks see what my family really is, then maybe they won't accept me anymore. So let's just leave the stone over the dead things in our life. And as long as you leave the, the stone over the dead things in your life, there will never be a resurrection of the dead things in your life. Jesus did not take the stone away. He told them, you move the stone away so give me access to speak to the thing that you've been desiring for me to speak to. So I just want to say this to some of us. I know it may be embarrassing to you. You may think the church is going to turn against you. You may think God will hold it against you. How about you take the stone off of the dead things of your life and allow Jesus to speak to those things and allow them to come back to life? Because by the time he says that thing to come to life, by the time it gets to Jesus, it will not stink anymore and it will not be dead anymore. Now, you can speak to it all you want, but Jesus is the one who makes the difference. And if Jesus had not passed by where Lazarus was and called him to life, Lazarus would have rotted in that grave. Jesus and Jesus alone makes the difference in the life of a dead sinner. Let me just read you a couple texts. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Y'all know that name? I think you can do it better than that. Y'all know that name? There you go. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I, that's not plural, I am the way. That's not plural. The truth, that's not plural. And the life, that's not plural. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen, we, can, we have a world right now that's trying to pave a lot of different paths to heaven. My friend, there is only one path, and it leads through Jesus Christ. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So maybe we should not give up on our dead things. Point number two. First, Jesus then calls him. Jesus came to him, now Jesus is going to call him. And I love this part of the story. 
When Jesus comes to him, when Jesus calls to Lazarus, number one, it was personal. There were other people in the cemetery. And had Jesus just said, generally, come alive, everybody would have come out of their graves. <laughs> and we would have had a Holy Ghost hold down with all the people who are already alive. Right? Because we believe in a resurrection. We're just not sure we want to be present at the time that it happens in the graveyard. But it was a personal call. He stepped forward and he said, Lazarus. And when the Lord called into that tomb, he issued a very personal call. It wasn't for everybody. It was for Lazarus. It was Lazarus's day. It was his moment. And when Jesus called him by name, it was so personal that death itself could not stop Lazarus from responding to the very personal call that Jesus gave to him. So let me just put it in more modern terms. If you're asking the Lord to speak to that family member that you think is dead and beyond reach, not even the alcohol or the drugs or the addiction can stop that when Jesus calls their name. And by the time they get to Jesus, the addiction will be gone. The stink will be gone. The sin will be removed. Why? Because sin cannot stop the call of God in their lives. And I know that rubs against some of us theologically. We think we need to be a clean fish before we're caught. But I want to ask you something. Have you ever seen a successful fisherman fish with his fillet knife? No, he catches them, and how did he call them? He put the right bait on it that was irresistible to the fish that was in the water. And then once he brings it up, once it's been caught, then he does the cleaning. And guess who does the cleaning? Not the other people in the boat telling the other fishermen how he should clean his own fish. We allow the one who caught the fish to do the cleaning. In other words, it's up to Jesus to clean them up and not my job. Let me just put it like this. We got way too many cleaners in the church and not enough catchers. Well, if they would just get over that, well, maybe that's your personal conviction. Because let me tell you, I don't know if you can be saved to be a Cubs fan, but that's my personal conviction. I'm just using that tongue in cheek, y'all. All you in Florida and Tennessee, just calm down. Just calm down. It's, uh, you can be saved to be a Cubs fan, but there's a lower part of heaven. <laughs> I'm just going to be called up to the seventh heaven. Calls personal. And the gospel, believe it or not, is not a general call. It's not a general call to all men. It is a call to individuals from a holy God. John 6, 44. I do understand Romans 10, 13, Revelation 22, that it'll be whosoever will. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, I know that God said he will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But I, let me just take you to my own testimony. On October the 30th of 1985, there was a message preached. But on that night, I was the only one that responded. 
Everybody heard the same message. But that night, God was calling Jason McKinnis' name. Nobody else heard it like that. But when the preacher was preaching, I knew the Lord was calling my name. And I was just a young kid. I was stealing candy out of my grandpa's pocket. I was doing everything I could to ignore the preacher. But there was something in the message that only I heard. And it was, Jason, it's time to come alive. So there was a personal call. I was the only one that responded that night. Hundreds of people heard the sermon. And I could be preaching over to this side of the church, but over on this side, Jesus is knocking on your door. Why? Because, yes, I'm preaching the gospel, but Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock. And if anyone will hear that and rise up and let me in, I will come in with him, and I will sup with him. Yes, it's a general message, but there are individuals who respond to it. The Lord, when he calls you, it is an intensely personal call. And when he comes calling to you, he comes to you as an individual. The Lord will not ask your mom and dad for you to be saved. The Lord will not speak to your husband or your wife about your salvation. The Lord will come to you and he will ask you, do you believe? Martha, do you believe? Michael, do you believe? Well, you should ask Micah. Michael, of course, wants Michael to believe. But it's up to Michael to respond because God asked Michael and not Micah to be saved. You have to make a personal decision. You're going to say, my grandpa and grandma were saved. My mom and dad were saved. My wife was saved. No, you have to be saved. Save yourself from this untoward generation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So when Jesus calls you out of death and out of decay and tells you that you are no longer doomed, you have to respond to that call. And if you'll respond to that call, you will come alive. It is a personal call. Number two, it was a precise call. The call was very precise. He didn't just say to Lazarus. No, he said, Lazarus, Come forth. Listen, God will never call you backwards. He said, come forth, come forward. There's a calling to a higher level of living. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. This is a very specific and precise call. God does not call you and leave you in the grave. God does not call you and leave you dead. God does not call you and leave you decayed. God does not call you and leave you doomed. But when God calls you, he brings you out. Out of the death, the decay, and the doom, and begins to bring life back to you. Now, let me just say it like this, because there's a whole lot of people say, I can love Jesus and stay exactly the way I am. You are somewhat right. Jesus loves you like you are, but he loves you enough to call your name and to say, come forth. Come up to a higher level of living. Well, I've just always been this way. No No, you were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But when Jesus called your name, you were born again. And too many of us fall back on that old crutch. Well, my mom and dad just talk like this, so I talk like this. So let me just ask you a question my mother used to ask me. If all your friends jumped off of a bridge, would you? Like, if my friends were jumping off the bridge, I'm like, what's coming? I grew up in, 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 in South Bend, so if my friends were jumping off the bridge, that probably meant there was a drive-by shooting. So, yes, I would probably have jumped off the bridge. 
The call was precise. Come forth. Number three, the call was powerful. He's dead. He's been dead for four days. They said he stinks. They said, are you sure you want us to roll the stone away? He, by now he stinketh. And Jesus said, no, roll back. And the scripture says that he came leaping out even though he was bound. He was bound and came leaping out. Oh, I don't think the Lord can reach my son. He's bound up in drugs. I don't think he can reach my family because they're just bound up in this and bound up in that. But when Jesus called him and said, Lazarus, come forth, even though he was bound, he still made his way to Jesus. Now, what we want to do in the church is you need to get unbound and then come to Jesus. The only way they're going to get unbound is to come to Jesus. Only Jesus can call you alive while you're dead. Only Jesus can call you and tell you and name you by what you will become rather than what you are. Lazarus, come forth. They said, he's dead. He goes, no, he's not. Here he comes. They're dead. He spoke to Gideon, right? And he said, oh, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon's hiding behind a wine press. And some of us, we say, we have somebody come down to the altar the first week. And they say, man, God called me to preach. And here's what us church folks do. Well, I think you might need to go to seminary. And you probably need to get yourself in about 45 classes here and go through them about eight years and get qualified. But the Lord can call them who they will become while they are not yet that. And what we start doing immediately is start doubting the call of God on their life. What we're saying to them is you're still too dead to be alive. There's only dead or alive. There's only saved and unsaved. There's only heaven and and there is hell. We want to put all these degrees into it. Well, you know, Pastor, if they would just maybe, if you give them three more months, are they saved or not? And what happens is, is we begin to put too many rules on people's salvation, and then they don't think they're saved because we, the church, said they're not. But Jesus called them alive. I'm just tiptoeing through the Pentecostal tulips. Number four, the call was purposeful. He did not call him out of that grave just for him to remain there. Lazarus didn't stay in the cemetery. The call had a purpose behind it. He was dead. Now he is alive. Not only is he alive, but he's loosed. God has a purpose for calling you. God did not save you for you to remain in the cemetery. So why are so many church services like a cemetery? Just a bunch of people standing around wondering why did God call us? He called us to worship. I don't think it takes all that. You know who said that? Michael. She said that about David when he was bringing the glory of the Lord back. She said, I don't think it takes all that. And David said, you don't think it takes all that? Wait till tomorrow. Why? Because he remembered what it was like when the glory of the Lord, when the nation was dead. And now he's celebrating that the fact the glory of the Lord is back and the nation is going to come alive. So, yeah, Michael, it does take all that. And you know who was, was fruitful and reproductive? It was David. And Michael, who said it doesn't take all that, she's dead. She's barren. The people who don't think it takes all that want to remain in a cemetery and remain dead. But those of us who were once dead but now have been called by Jesus and 
have been loosed from the bonds of our life. We, we know that God had a purpose for our life. And so we come to church because I remember what it was like when I was dead. I remember that on a Sunday morning, I wasn't at church. I was hungover. Now, some of y'all got real churchy right there. No, that's never happened to me. It wasn't me, Pastor. It wasn't me. Oh, no, no, no. I think you got. No, no. It was personal. God called you off the bar stool to put you into a worship service. God knew who you were then. But listen, he called you and you're no longer that person. Now, you're a son of God. So when he calls him, that call was purposeful. Here's the purpose of it. The purpose of God's call in your life is to bring liberty. It brought liberty. Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was still bound up in the grave clothes in which they had buried him. Jesus then says, he issues a command. And I could preach a whole sermon, tip through through some tulips on this. But Jesus tells the people who bound him up to loose him. Who bound him up? Well, his friends, his family, and those that were close to him, they bound him up. And Jesus said to the people who bound him up, you bound him, you loose him. And you can bind up the people closest to you in their worship by making fun of their worship. I don't know why I want to say this. Melissa's not here, so I'm not saying it for any brownie points to her. As a husband, the most delicate call that God has ever given to me is how I handle the anointing that is on my wife. Because as her husband, I can say something in private that will damage her publicly. And if you have somebody in your life that God has called to a unique calling or a calling that is different than yours, you need to be very careful what you say about them because what you say in private, the enemy will bring back to their mind when they get ready to operate in their ministry publicly. And you can use your words to bind up people who have an anointing that is different than you. And say, maybe I, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done it quite like that. Then the next time they get to do just like that, the enemy whispers, you know, your husband just said that you probably should do it a little different than that. He got quiet in here because they're like, did I say that to my husband or wife? <laughs> just, just try it with a meal, okay? Just, just, just try it when they're cooking. Say, you know, my mama used to cook it like this. And then see how that meal turns out the next time you want to eat that meal. <laughs> I didn't realize you wanted to dress in eggs because you're going to be wearing them. (laughs) The call brought liberty. Lazarus no longer dead. He's not to look like or to live like a dead man. He's been delivered from death and all of his bondage. He's now been brought to liberty. Number two, it brought light. The call was so purposeful, it brought light. The songs you were just singing said these very words, let the light in. The Bible says that the face of Lazarus was covered. His face was covered. They covered it with a napkin. They wrapped his face. And because of that covering, Lazarus was in darkness. 
And when Lazarus was brought to life, Jesus commanded that all the things that were blinding him and binding him were to be removed. And when the napkin was removed off of his face, this allowed the light to flood into his eyes. Who was he going to be looking at the minute the napkin was going to be removed? He was going to be looking at the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And when we get called to life, the light of Jesus Christ is supposed to be what we're looking at because now we are alive in Christ Jesus. So listen, the second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says it like this, the God of this world hath blinded their minds. If there was ever a day where the napkin needed to be removed off of our world, it's in this day. And what should they be seeing? They should see the light of Jesus Christ. And you and I are that light. We are a city set upon a hill that cannot be easily hid. So if they're going to have the, the napkin removed or the veil removed, then they need to see a church that has the light of Jesus Christ shining brightly in it. Number three, it brought life. It brought liberty. It brought light. It brought life. The man had been dead for four days, but at the command of Jesus, he is alive. He's now able to meet with, embrace that family that he'd even recognize that they were there before. Things that were dead to him, because now Jesus has brought him to life. Everything has come to life. Lord, I just need you to fix my family. Well, maybe if the Lord would bring salvation into your family, then the family would be fixed because of the salvation, because they may be dead to you now. But then when they get Jesus in their life, suddenly they want to reconcile and restore the family. So maybe the prayer is, Lord, save them. And in saving them, he'll save your family. We want their family to be saved but I'm too embarrassed to bring the dead person to church. If you bring the dead person to church and the Lord calls their name, they'll be able to embrace you as a family because now they're alive. Do you know what's wrong in our world and why we have so many fatherless kids and motherless kids? We can say it's abortion. We can say it's the court. We can say whatever you want to say. It's the fact that we don't have Jesus in enough hearts in this nation. So if, let me just, just talk to y'all Christians just real bluntly here for a moment. So if you get worked up about abortion, you equally need to get worked up about empty altars and empty baptisms. You ought to be at every evangelistic affair that we do in this church. If you're upset about the, the course of this nation, listen, you're not going to preach truth to dead people. They need to come alive to Jesus, and then truth will be revealed to them. So we, we get all worked up about all these political issues. My friend, we need to be out in the highways and the byways and compelling them to come in. And by compelling them, are you compelling enough to bring them in? Is your life compelling enough that they want to live the life you live or are you just carrying a bible on sunday and just like them on monday it's time for the church to come alive so when the call of the lord came to him it brought life light and it brought liberty the lord called that man out of that tomb the call was heard it was heated by lazarus and everything changed for him so jesus came to him jesus called him number three Jesus communed with him. Lazarus had just spent four days in a tomb, totally oblivious to his condition. Now that he is alive, he's no longer in a tomb, 
But the next time you see Lazarus, and you read about Lazarus in John chapter 12, not Luke 12, John chapter 12. Lazarus and Jesus are sitting at a table together in a house. The same house that they had been in before, and they had dinner together. Lazarus dies. Jesus calls Lazarus out of a tomb to a table. The call of God in our lives is to always bring us to a table. That fervent desire that Jesus had with his disciples is the same fervent desire he had for you. He did not just call you out of death and decay and doom to never have a conversation with you ever again. But he called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. He brought you out of that so that you could be with him. He brought you out of the grave so that you could sit at a table and be in communion with him. The story would have been amazing in and of itself if we'd have just left off when Jesus raised him from the dead. But that wasn't the point of the story. The point of the story was, Lazarus, I raised you from the dead so that you and I could have communion, fellowship with each other at a table. Jesus didn't leave town after he called him. They went back to the house. And they sat down and they talked together. They supped together. They drank together. They were having fun together. They were talking to one another. I could imagine the conversation. Like Jesus was asking, what was it like to be dead? You were dead four days. I'm going to be dead three days. I don't know what the conversation was. But they were having a conversation. And that's what Jesus wants from you. See, we get all theological about church. We want to get into the deep things. But when you get down to just the brass tacks of it all, Jesus saved you so that you and he could sit at a table together and talk. We make it so complicated. How do I pray? And we wax eloquent about how you should pray. But if you were at a table with the Lord, what would you say? That's how you pray. You know, Lord, today, I reached out to my son and he didn't respond. And Lord, I don't know what to do with that. Lord, today, I went to the doctor. And my heart was broken by what the doctor told me. You know, last night, Lord, I got a call. And I got some information I was just not expecting. And here's what we often do. We just talk so much. We never allow the solution to ever say anything back to us. Martha was so upset Jesus could barely get a word in edgewise. And he just said, Martha, Martha, we're here, we're, here, we're talking. You've told me about your brother. I just want to know, Martha, do you believe? 
You told me about it. Now you do, do you believe that I can do something about it? See, we were called from death and doom and decay and liberty and life and light was brought into our life just so that we could sit at a table and have that conversation with the Lord. I mean, last week I was preaching a little bit about the, or two weeks ago about conflict with the disciples, but they felt comfortable enough at the table with Jesus to argue about who was going to be the greatest. There was so much comfort around the Lord that they were just real with Him. Are you that comfortable with the Lord that you can just be that real with Him? Friday, uh, I'm actually on vacation right now. And uh, I was with Melissa and Zoe in Virginia and, and I had been battling my health for through the whole pandemic and well documented and what I've said and I, I was battling it and, and over the last three or four months I have had no issues and so we're going to go on vacation and I said man we're looking forward to this vacation it's been going to be the first vacation we've had in two and a half years where I've not had to battle with my health to be able to enjoy my vacation and so we said great we're going to we're going to go walking on Friday and I got up and I couldn't walk and uh, I was like so I, I just sat down with the Lord and I said you know Lord uh the enemy has war with me for two and a half years. And you healed me. And so, Lord, I don't want you to allow him to attack my body in this way to ruin another vacation with my family. Well, I'm standing here walking today, so I think you know the answer to what happened. But that's just how, that's just how you've got to talk to him. In just a moment. Pastor Evan's going to sing a song. And I don't know what it is in your life that the enemy's trying to tell you is dead, or that it's decaying, or that it's doomed. But the Lord called you to this place so that you and he could have a conversation. Whatever it may be, we need to come back to communion. Judas chose to have communion with those who conspired. We choose today to come have communion with the one who inspires. What is it in your life that you need to turn over to the Lord? And say, Lord, in this place of communion, I want to be reminded that you bring dead things back to life. That you called me from a grave to a table. You called me from darkness to life. You called me from sickness into health. So we take communion. Jesus said in Luke 22, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So we remember that he died so that I don't have to be dead. But I also remember that I once was dead but now I'm alive. And take all the complications out of it. It's just you and the Lord at a table. You're eating and you're drinking. It's the cheddar cheese biscuits from Red Lobster and a sweet tea from McDonald's. It's sweet 
It's warm and it's unlimited. Just with Jesus. So if you would just take your cup and if you've never used one of these before while Pastor Evan is singing the song, you simply just pop the thing down, pull it up, it exposes the bread, and then pull the foil back and it is juice. And during this song, I want you to have a conversation with your Jesus. Take me back to the garden Lead me back to the moment I heard your voice Take me back to communion Lead me back to the moment I saw your face And it was oh so simple It was easy No space between us It was easy to trust As you are closer, closer than my skin And you are Come back to living I feel my heart beating again It feels so good to
Please stay standing. First Corinthians chapter one and verse nine. Say, God is faithful by whom you were called into this fellowship. Called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. As you gave these things to God, God is faithful. Whatever you gave to him, he's faithful to you. We are in fellowship with him. We've been called to communion. Called to remember that we are in fellowship with God. And God is faithful. And because this is a moment of remembrance, to remember that we've been called, the Lord just wanted me to read these verses to you. They're found in Romans chapter 8, a chapter of new beginnings. The chapter begins that there is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And the chapter goes on and it ends like this. And we know that all things, everything I just told the Lord about, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? All these things that we were just talking to the Lord about, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You're at the table of the Lord. What can be against you? I just gave it to Jesus. What disease can take you down? You just gave it to Jesus. Who, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who can bring anything against the person sitting on the other side of the table of Jesus? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who always makes intercession for those who are sitting at the table of the Lord. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or my mean uncle or my mean aunt or my abusive father or my weird uncle or all of my family heritage? What? can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. He called me personally out of a grave to a table with the Lord. And nobody else's opinion can remove me from the table. There is not height. There is not depth. 
There is not an angel. There is not a principality. There is not a power. There is not a darkness. There is not a disease. There is not a demon. There is not a government. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. Who can be against me? Because greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Have you heard the call to the table of the Lord? And there is nothing that can keep you from that table of the Lord. And when you hear that call, you should come running to the table of the Lord and nothing can separate you from the love of God in your life. Let's worship one more time. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit siwcenter.org to find out more information about Southern Illinois Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.